evening. Welcome back to another episode of the Shula Bowl podcast brought to you by Five Reason Sports. It is April 20th, 2020, 420. Uh, for those of you who are uh, celebrating the uh, occasion, you know, enjoy it. Um, hopefully you are all seriously, in uh, all jokes aside, you are continuing to practice safe social distancing as we're going through this tough time. But, you know, hey, we're going to continue to crank out these podcasts and give you guys some level of entertainment as you guys are hopefully staying safe. And a big thing around the corner, actually about four days away right now, is the NFL draft. So this is going to be our FAU-FIU Shula Bowl joint draft preview. We're going to talk about some of the guys, you know, some of the seniors and, and guys who have made themselves eligible for the draft, who we see either being potential draft picks. They have been either listed, you know, in potential um, in some of the draft mock drafts, and we're going to get into those guys, or some guys who we think have fair shots to make a team as is a uh, undrafted free agent or just, you know, guys that, uh, you know, are fan favorites. We're going to kind of get into what their strengths and weaknesses are. And you think we have the right career group. As always, I am Eric Henry, FIU group for SB Nation. We're joined by Shane Marinelli, our FAU super fan, slash doing all things FAU recruiting and covering high school sports down there in South Florida for the FAU Owls Nest. And Jake Elman, who uh, is in a new role. Jake, before we uh, get into the, the guys and the, the draft coming up, uh, what exactly would you classify yourself in terms of your, your role with Florida Atlantic and uh, the media landscape down there? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm in like this weird gray area. I guess, I guess my role is I'm a supporter. Now, because I'm not covering FAU Daily, I'm just doing the pod, I'm doing my new job where I'm still writing about FAU once in a while. I am fully on board the promoting FAU in a positive, well, in, in as positive a way as I can without being my normal negative Nancy journalist self. So, at the end of the day, graduated from FAU. I love FAU. Grateful to FAU. I don't love some of the parking rules. I don't love that when they gave me tickets at the Ox, but I love FAU, and this is a really good week for all of us. As some of the players that we've gotten close with, some of the players who whose careers that we've followed closely are going to have a chance to either hear their names called on whatever virtual software the NFL uses, or in the hours after the draft, in the minutes after the draft, when they sign with teams as undrafted free agents. Yeah, I definitely can co-sign that opinion. You know, as someone who's covered FIU for the past two years, you get to know these guys and, you know, uh, just you kind of, you, you, at least I, uh, in my role, still remain objective. So, um, you know, I, I try not to, you know, get too attached to these guys, but you feel happy and, and you see the hard work they put into it and, and the fact that some of these guys are going to have their names called and uh, they'll be able to change their lives forever. You know, that's a really satisfying feeling. So we'll jump right into it. And the way I figured we kind of do this, we'll just start with the guys who, um, we perceive to go in some level of, you know, sequential order in the draft. And I think it's pretty universally known that the top prospect among the two teams is tight end Harrison Bryant. So, Jake, I'm going to let you go and jump in uh, first. Or Jake or Shane, whichever one you guys want to take it. Um, or Jake, you go first because uh, we lost Dane. So he'll call back in a second. But, Jake, uh, your thoughts on Harrison Bryant. So, Harrison Bryant, this is a quick funny story. I think it's funny. So Harrison Bryant, his first year at FAU, they really didn't use the tight ends a lot in the passing game. I mean, Harrison Bryant was out there, but he didn't take on that major role in the offense as a receiver until his sophomore year, which was Lane Kiffin's first year. So spring 17, myself and Carla DeVivo, friend of the pod, 
we used to cover FAU for All Access together. We were at spring camp one day, and Harrison Bryant was just dominating the defense. And we talked, I don't even know how this came up, but I said to Carla, I said, you ever notice that Harrison Bryant kind of looks like Beaker from the Muppets? And I thought, I thought Carla was going to die that day. I mean, not because it was 90 degrees, but she wouldn't stop laughing. So three years later, Beaker could be drafted his earliest Friday night and his latest Saturday afternoon. So Harrison Bryant will get more into the actual scouting and analysis in a little bit, but one of, I think, the most dangerous offensive players I saw in my four years covering FAU, not just because he could beat you in the air, but just a good blocker. I know that that's something that they said that they want to see him work on, but you compare where he was that spring day when I compare him to Beaker to where he was at the end of last year, especially in the final month of the year, it really, I think, is a testament to the job that Lane Kiffin did and really to Harrison as a player, somebody who played as a freshman but didn't have the stellar freshman season that Devin Singletary had or Aziz Alshire had, really worked himself up as a guy who came to FAU as a no-star player and left as one of the greatest receiving threats in program history. Yeah, Harrison Bryan, and kind of just speaking more of an NFL role, it's it seems his position, uh, it's better that he's coming out now than I guess, you know, you'd say five in 10 years ago and even five years ago, right? Uh, you know, he definitely, you see a lot of people kind of compare him to that H-back, um, kind of smaller tight end you see in a lot of NFL offenses today, not your true in-the-line wide tight end. Uh, you know, that might limit what, some teams could, you know, where they might draft him. But, man, he's definitely going to find a spot in this league. Uh, I think the best comparison I've seen of uh, Harrison Bryant so far is Dallas Clark. If people remember, I don't know, maybe even Jake made that comparison. Uh, the tight end he came out of Iowa, and he was on the Colts for a while. I think that's a great comparison. You know, Harrison Bryant – you know, his best thing, and I've even seen some rumors about him possibly being the first tight end taken off the board. This isn't a very deep tight end class this year. Uh, is just his ability is to, to get around the football, you know, to catch the back shoulders like he does. Uh, his ball skills are just amazing. Uh, you know, his ability to run routes and, you know, kind of – beat up on safeties easily. And, you know, that's what people are looking for at the NFL. And, you know, he's the type of guy that's going to go have a 10-year career, catch 40 to 60 balls a year, and people are going to wonder why they didn't draft him. And, Eric, before I ask you your thoughts on Harrison, I just want to point out FIU had their start tight end drafted a few years ago, Johnny Smith. So this will be the second time in four years that, and I don't have FIU's receiving records in front of me, but second time in four years, a shoeable tight end, who was a very good player, gets drafted. I think Janu Smith was a third-round pick of the tight end. So potentially, depending on where Harrison goes, Eric, second time in four years and the tight end goes on the draft's first two nights, I think that's a good sign for these two programs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned Janu Smith because I know that Shane – 
was kind of looking for an NFL comp. And while Harrison Bryant might not be as athletic as Johnu Smith, I don't have Johnu's 40 time directly in front of me. I do think Johnu ran. I still that Harrison ran a 4.73 at the combine. I think Johnu may have been a little bit quicker, maybe in the 4 or 5 range. I genuinely think, and this is just from having seen him play in Conference USA over the past two seasons, He's someone, you know, you kind of hear that old expression about there's track speed or, you know, speed in shorts versus football speed. He's a guy who, and you guys can probably attest to this, he never looked slow on the field to me. You know, he never looked as if, I mean, by no means am I calling him, you know, a speed demon, but he didn't ever look as if he, you know, wasn't one of the top three or, excuse me, top third um, among the top third of athletes on the field in Conference USA. And I think that's good enough when you translate to the NFL. I could easily see him be like, I've seen the George Kittle comp. I don't know how you guys feel about a Delaney Walker. Once again, I know Delaney Walker was a college receiver, so you're probably stretching the, the bounds of Harrison's athleticism there. But I really like him. I mean, this is someone who I, I just said, you know, I, I, I don't care about the idea that he may be a little bit slight, even though when you look at him in terms of his size, he is a very big guy. Um, I remember the first time I had a chance to see Harrison in person was at uh, Conference USA Media Days. And even then, he didn't look to be what he came in at, which I believe is 6'5", 243. So I'm going to assume he bulked up a little bit. But I just love everything about his game. I mean, I'm looking at some of the strengths here on NFL.com as far as the combine. And Lance Zerloin, who does the analysis for NFL.com, talks about things like, you know, held his own against cornerbacks and split out wide, which kind of goes to both Jake and Shane's point about what his role may be in the next level. Um, you know, kind of his efficiency as a route runner, uh, basketball fluidity. Those are all things you all see. I mean, I remember seeing him against FIU last season, just, you know, the guy made plays and I don't see any reason to think that he won't be able to do that at the next level. Just want to quickly run um, a couple of these weaknesses by both of you guys, you know, Jake and Shane, feel free to jump in um, after I run some of these by you and just let me know what you guys think. Uh, two things I see here really quick. They they say that, you know, um, there's still room for improvement as far as his uh, as far as his ability down in the red zone. And they say that there's room for, his, for improvement as far as him as a inline blocker. Now, I don't agree with the second. I mean, I've, there's never been a time where I've seen Harrison Bryant and he looked like he was a liability as a blocker, but what do you guys think about him as someone who, you know, at 6'5", 250, or 243, um, did he not strike you guys as a red zone target during your, uh, you guys have seen him at FAU? Uh, I, I think the, the thing with the red zone target is, especially at FAU's offense, and you see this a lot in college football, he really wasn't used in the red zone in the traditional sense, you know, uh, where it's, a lot of this stuff is in rhythm, especially early on. He's catching a pass wide open in the flat based off some other moat, you know, um, someone else coming across the formation. Uh, it was kind of FD's bread and butter play uh, in 2017. Uh, but he does have the ability to catch the ball in coverage, right? So especially with his ability on the back shoulders, that there's a couple of catches. If you go back and you watch FAU's, uh, home game versus Marshall two years ago. Uh, Effie ran like, uh, I believe a trick, a cup, a trick play, and then another play to Harrison Bryan, and he catches a beautiful back shoulder ball. Uh, yep. He did against Ohio State this year. Those type of catches, and there was another really nice over the shoulder catch against uh, UAB in the conference championship game this year. Those are the type of receptions. Oh, right, 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 in the end zone. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, 
and against Southern Miss too, where he just went up and pretty much just bossed the guy. Like it was a rebound yep. coming down. Um, those are the type of catches you see in the red zone. The inline blocker, I tend to agree with. I mean, we can make spin this all we want, but I mean, this is, you see this coming out of college football. And I don't know. I don't have the exact or pro football focus of where he lined up, but you know, I don't, how many times did he truly get in a three point stance this year and have to block someone in front of him? You know, I mean, he was lined out as a receiver. A, I would probably guess a third. Um, and a couple other times where he's probably lined up in that kind of off the line H back formation, you know, it's, can he block? Yeah, but you could show me and then, you know, there's a really good in-depth detail stadium did on him and you can show me knocking him, knocking over some guys from Charlotte, but that's different in the NFL. But again, like I said, a lot of his role at FAU is probably what a lot of his role will be in in the NFL. So it, it, you know, no one's asking him to line up and be Gronk. Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said, especially on the blocking and with the end zone target, the end zone threat. What I am going to add is you go back and you look at a lot of Harrison Bryant and John Rain's touchdowns too, when it came to them, the tight ends in the end zone, FAU throughout Lane Kevin's three years, they ran a very similar type of play with those two, which was that throw in the flats horizontally where they would run upfield. And Harrison Bryant, FAU and FIU fans will remember, he did that against FIU last year. Harrison Bryant did that against Marshall two years ago. He did it a few times throughout his time at FAU. And John Rain, that was his go-to last year. So in terms of the Gronk, like you send them on a slant, you send them on all sorts of different routes. I don't think Harrison Bryant is that. But I think, yeah, he could definitely be an effective goal line target. And I think he showed that throughout the three years. And, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the touchdown against UAB and the touchdown against USM. I thought those were two of FAU's more impressive touchdowns last year between jumping up and mossing the USM defender and then the beautiful back shoulder catch facing the sun against UAB. So I'm excited for Harrison Bryan. I think the George Kittle comps have been lofty. I think even Dallas Clark, as someone who loved those Colts teams growing up, I think if Harrison Bryant turns out to be the next Dallas Clark, I think the team that gets him is getting away with a steal, especially if Harrison Bryant drops the late third, early fourth round. Really quick, I'm glad you ended it right there, Jake. Just want to throw this at you guys. Um, I'll jump in as well. Where do you guys see, you know, maybe best case scenario, worst case scenario as far as this draft uh, position come Thursday, Friday, Saturday? I would say I think the best case for Harrison Bryant, NFL.com did a mock draft last week where they had Harrison Bryant going, I think it was 44th to the Colts, ironically. I think that's a little high, and I don't want to play draft expert. I don't want to play mock draft sure. But I think you look at this tight end class, you look at, what the Kuypers of the world, the Matt Millers, the Lance Lines have been saying, Dane Brugler's, I think Harrison Bryant's realistic range is anywhere from, it's a big range. I think it's anywhere from 50, so middle of the second round, to potentially early fourth, which is somewhere like 110. It's a big range. This is a weird tight end class. You don't have that clear-cut number one. 
There's been a lot of positives about Hunter Bryant from Washington. They like the kid from Notre Dame, Komet. I think that's how you say his name. There's a kid from Dayton. So there's a lot of guys who are good prospects. There's not that Bronk this year. There's not this Travis Kelsey where you draft him and you know he's a borderline Eric Ebron, first rounder, maybe early second. I think Harrison Bryant, realistically, I would say if he is not drafted within the first three rounds, I would be very surprised. All right, so as we're going to transition to the next prospect, uh, I think the next person that we kind of believe will uh, kind of fall in line would be FIU James Morgan. And, you know, James, we're not going to spend a ton of time on him. And not that James doesn't deserve, you know, any recognition. Anyone who has uh, read my work on Underdog Dynasty, SB Nation, you know, read, listen to this podcast, knows how I feel about James. It's just that he's been covered a lot, especially within the past four to five weeks coming off of the East-West Shrine game. So, um, you know, there are other guys we want to get to. But just quick thoughts on James. Uh, I'll start with Shane first, and uh, Jake, you can come in really quickly, and I'll kind of give my thoughts as well. I know, Jake, may, I think you had a question or two you wanted to ask me, um, but Shane, I'll let you start in there, jump in really quick with uh, James Morgan. Well, you know, I, Morgan, in a lot of ways, you know, I think uh, what's attractive is he looks like the prototypical quarterback, right? And you hear that now with everyone so familiar with it this time of year, with the Justin Herbert talk and all this, and um, James Morgan can make, you know, all the throws, uh, you know, obviously has that kind of quarterback personality, team leader, all those things you look for. Uh, but, you know, it's tough just going by what his senior year was, which, which in one, uh, I think, was held back by a lot of injuries. So you couldn't really build off that momentum. Maybe his senior year was a repeat of his junior year. We could be talking about a guy that's bump in, you know, in the second round. Uh, but, you know, quarterbacks are tough. I, I remember, I, uh, you know, I, I think we, we were debating in our chat a little bit. I had that stat where in the last five drafts, we've had between the third and seventh round, we've had like 48 or 49 quarterbacks drafted, and only two of them have become like impactful starters. And it was... Uh, it was Dak Prescott and one other guy who starts a little bit of the name escapes me. So it's just, it's really tough. And that kind of um, zone of quarterbacks to predict who, you know, everyone wants to make the Tom Brady comparison, not directly with Morgan, but just finding a guy in the sixth round. But you look at the numbers, it's, you know, it, it's hard to find guys in those rounds. Yeah. And, you know, I want to just, Praise Eric, because I remember this was right, I think this was right around the new year. And it's, so this would have been the, where was uh, James? East-West? Yeah, East-West. East-West yeah. Ball, right? And Eric Correct. was saying, uh, I, I mean, I think in my head at least, I was thinking James Morgan would get drafted, but he was probably a sixth or seventh round pick. Maybe he sneaks in late five with that team willing to take a chance and find their next star quarterback. But Eric was the guy saying James Morgan could be a third round pick. James Morgan could be a fourth round pick. And I think the only two times, I mean, I only saw James Morgan play in person twice, and that was both Shula Bowls. And I thought he was good, not great. It's a conversation for another day. And we've talked about FIU's offensive issues and overall issues at nauseum from last year. But Eric was the one who really put this idea into my head like, James Morgan could 
be a guy who climbs with draft boards. And we've seen James Morgan get a lot of positive press over the past month and a half. And yeah, you know, I, I Shane is right. You look at the past few years, Dak Prescott is probably the biggest mid round quarterback who comes to mind as somebody who was impactful. You have a lot of guys who give your Mason Rudolphs who maybe some guys I know I thought he was gonna be really good and obviously he hasn't been good. Then then you have guys who flame out after a year or two and they wind up in the XFL or something like that. Not that that's bad, but quarterbacks like the draft as a whole are a crapshoot. I will say, Eric, I think you share my optimism. I'm excited for James Morgan. I think he brings a lot of positive traits to teams. And I think just his story as a whole, being somebody who two years as a grad transfer, he sent out the letter to all these coaches and FIU of all schools was the only school that took a chance on them. And he led them. They were one about last year. They still made the bowl game. They still had the biggest win in program history, two overall successful years at FIU. Yeah, and like I said, I'll wrap it up really quick as far as James goes. You know, he's someone who obviously I'm very optimistic about. And, and I just think as anyone, if you ever spend a significant amount of time around James Morgan, you can't help but love the kid because you could see his tenacity and his commitment and just all the things that all the coaches rave about and other things intangibles that I think part of the reason he's getting some of the praise he is now is because you can't see that until you meet him firsthand. So uh, we'll leave it there with James. Just want to jump in here as far as, you know, a couple of intriguing prospects. I know both of us, or excuse me, all of us here kind of uh, found this name somewhat intriguing. Uh, Stanley Thomas Oliver. Um, I know obviously covering FIU, I'm the one who's had the most up close and personal experience with him. And I know with Stanley, here's the reason why he's he's really kind of sneaking in and, and I think he's going to get drafted. Personally, I can see Stanley, I don't want to say sneaking in the fifth. I think that's a little high. But I definitely see him coming off the board somewhere in the sixth to seventh round range. Quick and dirty synopsis on Stanley. I've said this from 2018. I'm not saying he's Richard Sherman, but I'm saying he has the intangibles of someone who played receiver and has the ball skills, transitioned to cornerback, long, rangy, very, you know, sneaky fast. He ran a 4-4 and also ran a 4-4 on 195 pounds, which was 10 pounds heavier than his playing weight does not have a problem tackling, can be physical. So there's a lot to like personally about Stanley Thomas Oliver. I know, Jake, you had a, a couple of questions on him as well, and I want to let Shane chime in as well before we get to Rashad Smith. Yeah, I mean, my main question is, I think Harrison Bryant, James Morgan, and I would say Rashad Smith are the three shootable guys that we, as a whole, and I think a lot of people as a whole have been talking about this draft season. But Stanley Thomas Oliver... I don't know much about him. I'll be honest. He went to the combine, which when I saw that I was a little caught off guard and you're somebody who, I mean, you're the only FIU guy here. David is off somewhere, but for some, for our listeners who aren't as familiar with Stanley Thomas Oliver as they are with Harrison or James Morgan or Rashad Smith. I mean, I know you talked a little about a little bit about Stanley Thomas Oliver, but just, why is he climbing up draft boards? Where has this come from? Uh, once again, I just think when you look at the fact that you're talking about someone who never played cornerback, he was a full-time receiver in high school. The only position he never played on a football field was receiver. So you're talking about a guy, first off, he you know makes Conference USA's all-rookie team as a freshman. You flip that around, and then he makes all-conference 
uh, made honorable mention as a junior as a first year as a cornerback, and then makes all conference second team as a cornerback his senior year. Just that level of athleticism combined with just the IQ, the ability to quick pick up the position quickly, I think is key. And I mean, and I want to say this carefully. Bryn Renner is a first year at the time was a first year cornerbacks coach and was giving Stanley the perspective of someone who played corner played quarterback at a high level at North Carolina. But with that being said, I, and, and I don't think Bryn would take any offense to this right now. You know, he's certainly not the level of cornerbacks coach that Stanley may get at the NFL level. So I think there's, you know, NFL teams are seeing the fact that you have a guy who has room to grow with NFL coaching. I think that's huge. And also, I, let me not discredit uh, Jared Kruse as well, because, you know, a lot of the people around SYU talk very highly of Jared Kruse at the time that he spent with the Browns. He was working there with some of the defensive backs, the safeties as well. So I'm sure he may have uh, given the safeties and cornerbacks uh, uh, a note or two. But I think that's a reason to be optimistic is that he's going to get NFL coaching. And then lastly, like I said, you know, he's sneaky athletic. That 4-4 time combined with, you know, his intangibles, the long arms, the ability to to kind of, I mean, Stanley was not afraid to tackle. For a guy who had never played defensive back, he had no problem getting in there and, and you know, getting his helmet, uh, you know, right there in, in the midst of things. So I just think that's a reason for optimism. So what you're saying is my New York Jets, with all of the times they disappointed me in the draft, if they take Stanley Thomas Oliver, I should not be concerned. I should be very optimistic. Stan's very much a diamond in the rough. I mean, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable enough saying, you know, hey, he's going to be uh, a guy who will play 10 years in the NFL just because you don't know. You know, you've only seen him for two years a cornerback, but he's a guy who I think, given him the right situation with the right coaching, you can easily see be, you know, we see this all the time with the NFL. Uh, Shane made the point about not seeing very many, you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh round quarterbacks progress to be the guy. But you do see a lot of later round cornerbacks and guys like those who can stick and have a uh, an extended six, seven, eight, nine year career as a nickel cornerback or maybe even a fringe starter. And I think Stanley can definitely be that. But I uh, want to transition here into Rashad Smith. I definitely want to spend some time on him. I know he's someone who you know I've been very high on. I definitely feel just uh, and I think my main question for both you and Shane, for Jake and Shane, is I'm high on Rashad's athleticism. I think he could easily be that. I mean, he's not going to be a, a safety in the NFL. He's definitely going to be a linebacker. But I think he can fit in a in a cover two, a Tampa two, a team who needs an athletic linebacker to play special teams. I saw him do that at the East-West uh, Shrine game and the practices play special teams. But also maybe as an athletic linebacker, he can come in and be a backup and, you know, um, play in space. What do you guys think about the Scott Smith's NFL prospects? I'll go to Shane first. Here's the thing, and I've heard, uh, you know, there were some teams – Kind of, you know, uh, sit around Rashad Smith. There was a report that the, I think the Miami Herald did, uh, reported that, you know, the Dolphins had interviewed him via Zoom or just before this uh, Corona stuff all went down. You know, the Dolphins defense kind of plays that, you know, obviously the New England style position list, uh, you know, where you, you don't have kind of your prototypical size linebacker, safety, a lot of hybrid type stuff, which Rashad Smith would be great at. Now, where he fits in the NFL is, you know, I, I always love Rashad Smith just for his playmaking abilities, whether it's six and a half sacks the sophomore year, doing playing one type of position, and, you know, I think almost double-digit interceptions in there, just under double-digit interceptions in his college career. The guy was just always around the ball. Uh, he had something like nine fumble recoveries, which is just 
you know, that's a crazy stat because, you know, those things tend to be kind of random. Uh, but it, 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 everyone loves versatility and all this stuff. Oh, and, and again, I forgot to add this. Rashad Smith, going into his senior year, his pro football focus, uh, he was one of the best coverage linebackers in the country, which is huge in the NFL now today with everyone spread it out and stuff. But, you know, people, teams tend to take these type of players, you know, they, they're great to talk about in camp, versatility and stuff like this, but when the rosters get cut down to 53 and only 48 on game day, man, you have to be able to do one thing really well and play a position, right? It's, in it, that's the big kicker in the NFL, you know, is Rashad big enough that he has the size to, if a team needs him to possibly be at least a two down, three down linebacker, right? Cause in the NFL, when you're fighting with roster spots, they're going it, to, it's tough to hold those positions when you kind of, you, if you don't do one thing particularly well and, and, or that thing can also be special teams. So, you know, I'm kind of curious to see, I think someone will definitely resign Rashad as an undrafted free agent or one of the late rounds, but you know, we'll, we'll see if he can, what role he'll play. It's kind of his biggest question mark. So just to go back to what Shane said, because I do know that obviously we have a Southpaw. I obviously we are affiliated with five reasons sports, which has, the best Dolphins draft content. So make sure to go check out everything they're doing. Go to the watch party Thursday night. But the Miami Herald reported on Friday that the Dolphins wanted to meet with Rashad Smith last week, so two weeks ago. In person, the NFL said no. The Chargers and the Bengals have also looked into Rashad Smith. And the Ravens, the Cowboys, and the Seahawks reached out to FAU corner James Pierre who is in a similar situation to Rashad. Um, I don't know if he'll be signed. Both of those guys, unfortunately, missed out on the pro day because of the coronavirus. They had, they, they, although they had opportunities, Rashad with the East-West, James Pierre with the NFL Combine. So I think Shane said everything perfect about Rashad. My thing with Rashad is – he is, he's a playmaker and he has a nose for the ball. And I think he's somebody that, you know, you get him into a rookie mini camp. I think even though that's not the best indicator of how good a guy can be, I think he's somebody who can take advantage of that opportunity and play his way onto a roster. And, you know, I don't want to go predicting random teams, but I've been saying for a few months, I feel like the Eagles who have a history of taking those linebackers who do a lot, very good, but, maybe not a lot great or amazing and turning them into reliable NFL players. That's a team. I think if he signed there, I think he could be a really productive player. Yeah. And just, you know what, Rod, Rashad Smith, everyone knows uh, from being around me, I'm a Rashad Smith stan. You know, he's probably as, as a fan, as someone who covered FAU line, my top three favorite owls of all time. The guy's just a playmaker. And I would just love to see him get in a position, you know, those, guys that just tend to be around the ball at the right time, no matter what their size and speed are, that, that tends to just carry over. Everyone wants to put a stop on them about size when they get to a certain level, but yet they just continue to make plays. So really quick, the guys, last guy we're going to jump into here is Rashad, excuse me, is a TR Tart. 
defensive tackle for FIU. And he's a guy who uh, he's popped on some draft boards pretty late as a potential, you know, seventh round pick. Who's going to kind of give a quick idea of, of Pierre and what his positives are. The thing that he does well, while FIU tend to rotate between eight, nine, and ten defensive linemen a game, that really caused here, as far as his stats, not to maybe be eye-popping as some other defensive tackles. However, where Tier does excel is that he gets in the backfield and penetrates you know, really well. He's a guy who had 12 uh, tackles for loss during his entire career at FIU. And when you look at teams who line up in that tight formation are not trying to spread you out like many Conference USA teams do, if you look at the Marshall game, I think that's the tape you want to look at when assessing Tier Tart. He had six, tack- six solo tackles and two uh, half tackles, eight tackles. That was a career high. And uh, three of them were behind the line of scrimmage. So T.R. Tart's a guy who I think when you look at the NFL and what they're looking to do, um, it's definitely going to have a chance sneaking there as a run-stopping defensive tackle. He's someone who I really think, you know, should keep an eye on. He could potentially be the third Panther drafted, and that's something that, you know, considering the fact this team went 6-7 and seven last year, it may be shocking to see the fact that they could potentially get three Panthers drafted. So, yeah, so with that, with Tier Tart, I know, you, uh, Shane, you kind of said in the chat you want to jump in as far as James Pierre and his NFL uh, potential really quick. Uh, go ahead and jump in. What you got on James? So James is someone who, you know, decided to uh, you know, leave uh, after his junior year. And, you know, for those that know, James has been pretty much a shutdown corner uh, for the Owls for the last three years. Great ability to tackle as well, physical one of the comparisons I did hear, you know, from the three yards, uh, three yards per carry Dolphins podcast is uh, kind of has that a key to lead bill, tall, lengthy, you know, uh, didn't put up like the interception numbers that like Nico Dawson did. But, uh, you know, if you're someone who watched FAU football, as much as Jake and I does, you know, that's because team simply didn't throw at him a lot. I mean, there was games where it was like, is James Spear playing, which is what you kind of want out of a um, outside corner. You know, what's tough for him, though, is I think he, out of all the players we maybe might have mentioned tonight, might have been the most affected by kind of the COVID-19 and not having a pro day as he had a poor, I hate saying this, but he just probably didn't have the showing he wanted to at the combine. Ran a 4.59, which is, that's getting moved to safety type speed. Um you know, measured a little bit lower, I think, than what they listed. He was, you know, on the FAU site, they have it at 6'2", and he kind of came in at six foot and a half. Um, so maybe he didn't have that length. I hope, you know, maybe some teams can look past that and still give him a chance just because, you know, it, it, just playing a premier outside corner position, that's hard for to find those type of guys. So he'll definitely get a chance, but... Man, you know, like I said, he's someone that really kind of got affected by um, everything that's going on and not getting another chance to kind of, you know, produce some better times. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead and, you know, we'll try to get this episode out to you. We are recording, as I said, on April 20th. So you should be listening to this either the Wednesday before the draft or the Thursday. You know, uh, we'll try to get the guys out to you so you can have an opportunity to maybe fill your uh, first round with some FAU and FIU coverage while we're letting all the uh, overhyped – no, I'm just kidding, not overhyped the, – uh, the first round guys from the Power 5 schools go. Once again, thank you for listening to the Shula Bulk podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the number 5 Reason Sports. You can also find us online at 
shulablepod.podbean.com. And on Twitter, you can find the actual podcast site at shulablepod on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Once again, please stay safe, practice safe social distancing. Uh, sooner than later, I promise you, I will not have to close each podcast with that warning because things will be back to normal or at least a level of new normal. And ideally, football will be in our future. Uh, thank you for listening. And please feel free to leave us any and all feedback. It is all welcome.
you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of economic situations, especially if kids are sitting at home while they're on scholarship, not getting the benefits of that scholarship. And I think that's kind of maybe was my broader point. Um, and, you know, but I, I guess, you know, we'll just kind of see how this plays out in the coming months and more of these kind of socioeconomic and what's right and wrong topics arise. But yeah, no, um, my like final two cents is like, I, I agree that, that this is financially driven, but like at the same time, it's not like these people want, like they want to put these kids in danger. Like they don't want anything bad to happen to them, obviously. But at the end of the day, college football or college sports in general is a business and it's definitely their number one priority. All right. So really quick, we have a special guest joining the Shulable podcast. He has a standing open invite. This will not be the last time you hear his voice. He is my next door neighbor at the Tyson Rogers press box at Ricardo Silva stadium. He is the one and only David Drucker, also known as on Twitter at FIU sports guy. Druck, how's it going, man? Hey man, it's good. Uh, given the circumstances, you know, um, I hope you guys are doing all right. Um, you know, it's an honor to be on the show. I mean, geez, I'm like your guys' number one fan other than like David Hondal's dad. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, it's I'm happy to be here. Always going to talk some FIU, FAU sports, I guess. Absolutely. So, you know, Druck, we'll, we'll save the debates for another time. We've got a we've got a special episode plan where you and Shane have at it and uh, Jack Whitten's on and we're going to do the uh, the whole Shula Bowl kind of battle here. But uh, tonight's topic, man, just really want to get your opinion. You know, you are uh, arguably FIU's number one fan or maybe not even arguably. I think oh, you are. Relax. Yeah. Listen, listen, <laughs> I, 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 listen I, I can't think of anyone who reps FIU as hard as my man publicly. I mean, Hey, listen, I don't want to say it, but David, David, someone decided to skip certain games for a wedding. You know, I, I don't want to call it and or didn't go to the bowl game either. So, you know, oh. I know David Drucker was at a, the F of the uh, Miami game and the Camellia bowl, but Druck, oh. uh, here's, here, here's the, here's the question. I wait, wait, wait. Can I just point out something for David Hondal, not to be at the namesake of this podcast. That's pretty shameful. <laughs> oh, trust us. We have busted his balls about it. First off, I've been to more Shula Bowls than anybody in this chat combined. Okay, so you know what? Cut me some slack. All right, that's a lot of L's you've seen. (laughs) I I have seen a lot of L's, and that's how much of a fan I am that I still go back every year. <laughs> Sorry. So now we've got the uh, the pleasantries out of the way. Uh, Druck, really quick, man. You know, we've been talking about a, uh, a myriad of topics here on the podcast. Just kind of want to get your thoughts on something, man. Um, in the event that either one of the uh, the following two scenarios happen, one, FIU is forced to play home games without fans, and like I said, you know, we, we're not going to spare the you know jokes about FIU attends and all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about. FIU has a very loyal and dedicated fan base, uh, no matter how big or small. But that's uh, one scenario. And the other scenario is that let's say there is not a football season at all and it is delayed. What do you think in your mind either of those scenarios would do for the FIU culture? I've kind of speculated to kind of fill you in on what my opinion has been on what Jake and, and Shane and David have said as well. My thoughts have kind of been that it's a double-edged sword. This could um, – it could maybe be a negative in the sense that it would kind of dull an already kind of burgeoning fan base that, you know, isn't quite at the level of the USFs and the UCFs of the world in the state, or it could be a positive in that 
you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And maybe that could rejuvenate kids to say, hey, we want to get back out there and tailgate because we had it taken from us in a sense. So I'll just let you uh, opine there, Drew. Man, I mean, what you just said is probably so true. You got a bunch of college kids who have been sitting indoors, you know, for forever. And um, I mean, what is more like the college experience than college football? I mean, especially when you're like us and you've got a, a football stadium on campus. So, I mean, you know, some people, you know, like I, I can see why people might, you know, be, be sad or pessimistic, but I, I really only like see it like that the FIU culture kind of marinating, you know, but while, you know, everyone's away. Cause I mean, guys, last year was six and seven. That's disappointing for, you know, uh, uh, it was a bizarre season, but we did kind of win the biggest game in FIU history. I mean, there is not a single local who's into football who was not aware of what happened on November 23rd. And the FIU hasn't played a home game since. And so if it means we, you have to wait for another year or two, you know, to kind of come back, I mean, that, you know, then we'll see. Of course, we'll defer to people who know what they're talking about. But, uh, but I think it's, the excitement's only going to build up. Uh, guys, real quick, I think uh, David you know, makes a really good point. Uh, Drucker, I should say, because, you know, David Hondel has changed his name to number one FIU fan here on the Zoom chat. But Drucker makes a really quick, uh, good point before we uh, finish this one up. There hasn't been a home game since that win. So, yes, while the season ended on a low note with two losses, I, I do think that's a fair point. I think also for FAU, because we don't want to, you know, forget the Owls POV here, this would be their chance, you know, to really say, hey, you know, we have a chance to support a new coach in Willie Taggart. Uh, we haven't had a chance to really support the team since the Shula Bowl, and that in itself was a wash because of the rain out. So um, maybe it could have the opposite effect. And I, I just think it's something that you have to consider, especially, you know, I just think if you don't have fans in the stadium, and obviously Shane's made his point about, you know, um, it could be a moot point if you're having students on campus, and why wouldn't you have students, uh, fans on the stadium? But my over, overarching point is, for both of these schools who are trying to build a fan base, if you don't, if you don't give them that incentive, if it's taken away from them, sure, the great you know bars like Irishman will be you know filled up. But uh, I just think you have to continue building that culture. And for Shane, a guy who you know specializes in recruiting, what do you do when you know you, you can't bring recruits to an empty stadium and say, hey, envision. 30,000 people here cheering, cheering on the outs. So. Yeah. But wouldn't, wouldn't Eric, wouldn't you say that that's kind of like an equal effect for everybody? Like, like if, if, uh, if every school in uh, NCAA football has to, you know, have socially distant uh, standards, let's say, I mean, it, isn't it kind of like the same effect as where you walk into, you know, death Valley at LSU and you're not going to have that effect either. So, well, just a clarification here. There probably yeah, go for wouldn't it. be official visits in that scenario. They'd have to. I mean, if you're doing an empty stadium, you're definitely not letting kids travel, right? If you're LSU, you're definitely not letting, you know, you're not kids from the panhandle of Florida to come for an official visit. If the stadium's empty, it's going to be necessities only. Cameramen, football coaches, trainers, right? It, a recruit and his family is not coming. So okay, that, that, that's, that, that, that's a fair point. That's a fair point, Shane. But I, I just want to quickly, and it is an important point that you made, you know, for the clarification. Drucker, uh, to quickly hit on your point, no, it's not an even playing field because at LSU and Death Valley, 
I've seen it on ESPN on Thursday night or Friday night on Saturday night. And at the cage, I haven't seen it because my ESPN plus stream isn't exactly working properly. And, or there hasn't been 20,000 people inside that stadium since, I don't know, Shane was an undergrad. Or no, 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 shit, I won't even throw Shane on the bus. I'll say the last time there were 20,000 people in that stadium was FIU-UCF, and I was there. So uh, that's the reason why I make the point. How old is undergrad for a really long time, so don't go by my age. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I don't think like schools like LSU or like Alabama are really hurting for fans, to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah, I'm with Eric that it wouldn't really even the playing field. But as the number one FIU fan, I have seen it packed. So there you go, Eric. <laughs> David, the, David, the last time you saw it packed, were you in elementary school or what? <laughs> uh, no, high school. Like full out, sold out. Like it, during the TY days, I mean, it was pretty consistent. Oh, I remember, okay. um, I remember the, the Duke homecoming game was probably still to this day the most packed stadium in our history. All right, Drux. So, hey, man, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I know it's been a unique experience experience but this definitely will not be your last time coming on i will let you and mr david hondal uh debate for who is uh, fiu's number one fan but hey thank you for coming on and uh we're definitely gonna have you on for more uh exciting happier topics in this one man so thanks for coming on i appreciate it yeah definitely thank you for having me on the show and uh, i'm looking forward to the future episode where uh shade and i get to scream each other about how many tenths of a mile fau is from the beach i'm not in that argument that's not me don't even <laughs> i don't care <laughs> I, I can tell you right now from experience, Shane's head will spontaneously combust if that argument ever makes an appearance on this podcast. But with that being said, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. As always, you can find the podcast at shulabowlpod.podbean.com. And you can find it on Twitter, Twitter, excuse me, at the number five reason sports. Uh, and you also find us on Twitter at shulabowlpod. Thank you for listening. And uh, please, the only way we can grow on this podcast is by leaving us feedback and reviews. So please feel free to DM us. Last time I said uh, DM the bad reviews to Shane. This time, DM the bad reviews to me. I will take the brunt of the uh, of the pain on this one here. Um, last thing, say, uh, guys, please, uh, please practice safe social distancing and stay safe. Take care. And uh, we'll get back to football eventually, guys.